Hello and welcome to an episode of Elixir Mix. I'm your host, Alan Wyma. Today, I'm all by myself, so sad, but David is here to tell us all about his experience with Elixir and LiveView. David, why don't you tell us some more about yourself and who you are and why we brought you on? Yeah, well, I'm here with you, so we can do this together. So I'm David, I'm from uh, the Netherlands. I've been a developer for around 13 years and not always backend. I used to do a lot of front-end, but that was before React came along. Did played around with React and all kinds of frameworks, obviously, just to tinker with it. I'm currently running a new company. It's called Mave, with like Move, but then with an A, Mave.io. Uh, so shameless plug there. And we're doing things with video. So if you're trying to add videos into your website, yeah, we have something for that to make it your life easier, basically. And do a lot of stuff. And we're using yeah, I, Phoenix Live View. I was going to say, I, I saw that but I wasn't actually sure what it was exactly. So it seems like you have a live view component, or sorry, you have a live stream, but you can also just right. play regular video that's been uploaded. Correct. Well, yeah, you're not really a front-end developer, right? So maybe you have not I do whatever. But... <laughs> I do whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know that's the <laughs> Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. No, so if you ever embedded video into your website and you probably used YouTube or Vimeo before, well, YouTube is a different example because they're basically the TV of the internet. And But if you're trying to do something else besides YouTube, they don't want to be on YouTube, to be on YouTube. You probably use Vimeo or Vimeo. And if you want to customize it, you probably get a, like an open source player. And then you strip away everything from Vimeo because you want to have adaptive bit rates, ALS, those kind of things, like new technologies in video, which has like lately has been going like crazy like that development. So there's a lot of new things are happening there. But you grab one open source player and that really works. But at some point it fills and you want more features like analytics, and you want to have more integration into your platform, there's still, I think, room for improvement there. Like, for instance, if you want your users to be able to upload videos, for instance, you can't use Vimeo because for Vimeo, you have to go to Vimeo. And with us, you just have to embed, and you can upload directly into the embed. But besides that, it's more focused on front-end developers. So if you want to customize it, it's basically video components. It has a chat components. You can customize it the way you want. And we're still like really finding out and gathering feedback from our users to uh, see what, what the best fit is. So we're still, still really, uh, really in the early stages. But uh, we actually launched last week. So <laughs> pretty exciting. How's the feedback been so far? What's the user count? Can you tell us about that? So it's, it's still very small. 
to be honest. We do get, we do have like a, a small, well, we have a Discord with a small audience and everybody's very actively like saying what they think. And so that's super nice. So I think the small community around your product or company is actually super helpful. But yeah, we're just getting started. So it's just, uh, I think right now, well, I have a status board here. It's around, well, under the hundreds. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's not a lot, but we're uh, looking for people. So if you want to test it out, try it out. Please visit us or check it out. It would be nice. Now, as being a host and you're being our lovely guest, does this mean that we get some free credits then? <laughs> well, if you want to try, well, it's it's for video, right? So it's not yet for audio. Maybe it will happen at some point. Probably it will happen. But yeah, if you want to upload a video, yeah, for sure. So I, I will we'll talk about this after the, the podcast, but yeah, we're just looking for people that really want to test it out and try it out and see whether it's a good fit and want to give feedback, whether they can use it in their, their company or with their company. So uh, yes, so if you would see it working with the podcast or whatever you're working on, for sure. Yeah, because, you know, actually I do a couple other podcasts too, so it could be interesting. I don't know, I need to see more about yeah. your products. Uh, sure. Again, after the show, I'll show you what I have, and maybe there's something there. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so we okay, we, do, cool. we also do live stream, by the way. So it's, it's for video on demand, obviously, which just is the basics. And then there's live streaming. So with our launch party or launch event last week, we did a, a live stream, and we'll be publishing this uh, this week. So you can sign up and see the presentation, but it will be in Dutch because our audience is mostly Dutch right now. But uh, we're trying to expand. That's why I'm also on this podcast, trying to find uh, other countries. <laughs> Yeah. So is your website actually in English or not? Because I don't know, I, I've had yep. like a buddy of mine before, as I said, who's Dutch. Yeah. It's kind of weird, like for him, everything's in English is better, computer, everything like that. Like even when he talks about Dutch people, always in English. But his parents, though, they have to have everything in Dutch, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So well, I guess like, is your like website is 100% English or no? Yeah, yeah. Because we're focusing on front-end developers, right? So most people just work in English. Also here in the Netherlands, most people write their commit messages in English. So I, it made more sense to start off in English. And in the Netherlands, people speak, I think, well, you can hear it in my accent, but I think we kind of speak okay English. Not sure what you think, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, well, I have met one Dutch guy whose English was really poor and I let him know to his face. And actually, he was very happy Oof. about that. Oh, no, it was, I, I'm, maybe I can tear you down, but I'll tear you down with constructive criticism. Okay. Oh, this one nice. I can be for sure. Yeah, well, I just told him directly. Be a tester of Maeve. <laughs> <laughs> I told him directly, I said, I got to be honest, man. You have the worst English of any Dutch person I've ever met before in my life. <laughs> And you know what? Yeah. He was the I, happiest I, I guy. Like he was sad all day. And after I told him that, he was super happy. He's like, thank you. I've been waiting for somebody to yeah. tell me that my English is poor. <laughs> but it's nice to have honest people, right? Around you and saying what, what's what. So I guess it's... That's nice. what I think he wanted, right? Because I think he and I have both been living in, in Shanghai for some time, right? And so like people are always just nice to him. And yeah, yeah I mean, it, it was weird to, to have that. Like you said, Dutch people, they just have really, really good English. And uh, right. I don't know. Yeah, like my, my friend told me that... Well. My friend told me it's, oh, it's because we always watch American movies and we never have the subtitles on. I was like, uh, okay, maybe. Yeah, I don't there's know. no dubbing. So there's always, yeah, every, a lot of stuff in English. So I guess it works. But uh, yeah, right now, like, because we know most people, like uh, I had a previous coffee and most of my network is just Dutch. So that's why most people that are in there are right now are, are Dutch. Most companies that are using it right now are Dutch. But uh, let me see. Yeah. yeah. Or are also English companies or in English, doing th stuff in English, but like the founder is Dutch or whatever. So yeah. Yeah. But I we're just remember talking to expand. I remember talking to another Dutch guy who's 
talking to another Dutch guy and they're talking in in, uh, in Dutch and, and they're like, they kept using so many English words because it's like you can't really translate partner because it has a specific meaning in what they were talking about. And then uh, finally, they just said to each other, how about we just speak in English because this is just much easier than trying to speak this mixed <laughs> language. Well, there are a lot of words that are also similar in Dutch and English. Kind of interesting. Yeah, I think I was told the word dollar is, uh, come from Dutch. Dollar, I don't know. Dollar? I, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I can't really think about a word right now which comes from Dutch, but there's some, like partner, what you just said, partner is the same word in Dutch, or uh, colleague, collega, pretty similar, but difficult with... (laughs) Yeah, so that's uh, that's what I'm working on, and uh, everyone that wants to be uh, trying it out, let me know. Now, are you uh, a founder of this, or you're just like an engineer? Okay. Yeah, so we're a two-man company, actually. We're very small, intentionally small, mostly because we work both on had bigger com- companies in the past or had bigger companies in the past. And we really wanted to focus on the product and see what would happen if we tried to keep it small, right? So there's also no funding. It's fully bootstrapped. And we're trying to do it this way just because it made more sense for us and see what would happen. And until this far, it's really succeeding. It's We're busy, <laughs> I guess. But it's super nice, actually, because we're really, really getting down into the product and talking with everybody and then changing it right away. And it's, it feels very, very, well, it just works for us right now. Now your, your partner, right? Is, is, uh, yeah. yeah. Are you guys both engineers or is he the business guy or how do you guys divide up? So I'm, I'm mostly doing the Elixir stuff actually. And he's actually more doing front end stuff design, but we're, because I'm also, I have a, I also have a front end background where we're mixing and that, that's why, Phoenix Live View is amazing because, like I, like, like I told you before, I come from like using Backbone in the past, for instance. And in those days, well, initially we had like HTML and PHP and those kind of things. That's where I started, actually. All of a sudden, you started wanting to do more interactivity into your websites. So you added jQuery. And then all of a sudden, the jQuery became a mess. So we, those other like knockouts and Backbone and whatever... Uh, came along and it was super nice that you can like be more constructive and then really the like the programming sense in me came because before that i was doing design but i, I wouldn't call it design but i when you were younger when i was younger i just tried to make pretty pictures and websites and those kind of things in photoshop but those frameworks really or libraries really made sense at that point for me and it's at that point like the back end and front end concept came along right so there were teams created everything was separated then I started an agency and it made really sense to hire people on the front end, really made sense to hire people on the back end, right? So we had these paradigms and we created this monoliths and there were teams working on both sides, communicating to each other what they required. So what the, what the API should like give back and what functionality should be on the front end. And then GraphQL came along, you know, and then because, so because front end developers didn't want to be restricted to whatever backend developer would make. So they can be more flexible and create their own front end without having their restrictions. So change loose. And now we're back at whatever was in the beginning, like the PHP stuff, right? Because everything is just one big, big pal. But then with nice thoughts of separation and fast things, like I also used to work a lot with Node.js, where you built your own stack with HTML, CSS, React, Created API, GraphQL, whatever, and then WebSockets, right? You have to build your own WebSocket server for real time stuff if you want to build a chat or whatever. So it, it became this huge mess of all kinds of systems. And with Phoenix, it's just, it's way like everybody's saying, obviously, and this has 
been said in this podcast many times already. I mean, you can build a completely solid system with Phoenix Live View doing all kinds of crazy things really fast. For instance, we, we use Fly, Flyo, and it's amazing. It's already also been covered in this podcast, obviously, for, for several reasons. It's clustered, it's uh, not like the database, the application. It, it's amazing, right? I love it. And I guess you guys do too. <laughs> so I don't need to have like preaching to the choir, right? So it's a, it's a no-brainer to, for us to use it. But also from a, from a product perspective, I, I guess it's always important to think like, what are you building and what tools can you use? For us, for us, it also really makes sense from a product perspective. Like we're, we're not purely live view, like the backend is live view and there's like there's an iframe embed sometimes, which is injected into your website as the embed, uh, mostly for controls and those kind of things, or if you have a chat. And then obviously live view is amazing because you don't really need to think about a lot of stuff to get that going and scale. So, yeah. So, okay. Well, I mean, really uh, kind of, well, I, are you, Sorry, I mean, you must be, are, you're in your, it's okay. No, no. Talk as much as you like. This is all for you, right? I talk, I, I'm on three podcasts in total, right? So I talk a lot. Right. Uh, in general, I talk a lot too much anyways, but in, in any case, sorry, you're in your 30s, right? I think you're around my age, right? You're in your 30s somewhere? Right, yeah. yeah. Okay. But you were doing PHP before, right? PHP to 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 Elixir is a pretty massive jump, I think, no? Yeah, I, I didn't do a lot of PHP, to be honest. I mostly started out with front-end and then worked my way to back-end to Node.js, right? And and then I started figuring this whole back-end infrastructure and, and like work with AWS. So before I also uh, ran an agency, it was yeah, it was doing really good actually. We did a lot of uh, big projects. For instance, we worked with Sketch. It's like a design tool on macOS. We built Sketch Cloud, and the first version I believe I actually did in Node.js. But then yeah, yeah, and I built the first version in React. And uh, at some point we switched to Elixir, and it's still working in, or they're still running Elixir actually, and they grow a lot. I think they're around 200 people right now. And, and it's a great product. I'm not sure if you know it. Yeah, it's a Mac app, so you have to use Mac, obviously. And we worked on WeTransfer, which is a file sharing site. They're mostly used in Europe, I believe, but also getting in the, like traction in the US. That backend, but that was mostly uh, Ruby. So we did all kinds of things. And but my focus initially was like front-end, Node.js, and then started managing people, basically. And then uh, worked my way to Elixir. Well, I really wanted to get back into code, so that's why... I was like, okay, we started at the agency with Elixir and I really enjoyed it because it made way more sense. And then like life, you came along and I was like, where have you been all my life? Yeah, yeah but you're a, if you're big into front end and you like backbone and stuff, then I think Live View is not really your bag, no? Or, or, is it, or did you kind of didn't really enjoy like all the, like the integration between front and back end or, or, or what? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. So I think it really depends like whether you're really at the, well, I had these conversations with lots of people already, but if you're a developer developer, like are you merely focusing on writing code or are you building a product and trying to figure out what bestly suits whatever you wanted, want, want to build, right? So I suppose I'm the latter and really want to build something rather than focusing on making... I do want to write good code, obviously, because I want to have it maintain maintainability. I want to make sure it scales and I don't want any headaches most of the time because if you're building a product with a two-person team you don't want to get back into the code that you wrote in the past and you can't work with it or if you want to well a product changes continuously so like one week you're trying to figure out is this the best thing that works and you build it in a week and then the next week you're like oh no it doesn't work so you have to rebuild it again and if 
people use it. It's really hard to update it because people are already using it. So how are you going to update it? And doing that within like a front end with a back end and API and all kinds of complex systems on top of each other, like layers, it doesn't feel natural. And with Phoenix Live View, obviously, it feels very natural to just build features or products. So that makes a lot of sense for us, if you get what I mean. Yeah, but, I kind of do. I mean, for me, it's easy, but like, I feel like so many people that don't think it's so easy because it's like, the syntax yeah. is odd, and also like you have to get used to pattern matching. Yeah, 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 true. It's maybe not that's so true. clear to most people when they see how it took a while. Work. Yeah, that's that's true. So I also went from just regular JavaScript, obviously, to TypeScript, which are, most people are using nowadays. And TypeScript already comes close, not with pattern matching and stuff, but with all kinds of concepts to whatever Elixir is doing. And I guess. With Node.js, you also, or JavaScript in general, you get like the concept of asynchronous codes and parallelism and those kind of concepts. It's, it's the, so that that switch from TypeScript with Node.js and to Elixir, that did make sense for me. But the syntax with piping, obviously, and pattern matching, all kinds of features, that was new. But you don't really need to use it in the beginning, although the documentation really covers that continuously throughout everything. So it, it was a bit of a struggle. The, it was not too bad, but to be honest, like if you if you're a React developer nowadays, React, I think React is really complicated. I'm not sure what you feel about it, but that's why also they created obviously like create React app, like a, to skip the boilerplate and just get going because you want to build products and not write boilerplate so much boilerplate. And now Next.js obviously is the, the the better solution because there's also the problem that uh, you write so much JavaScript in your application in, in a single file become slow and then you do requests and you see all these loaders spinning up throughout your page, which doesn't feel natural as a web application or application in general, right? And I think that's the important part. You want to build a product that feels like an actual application and or a web application should feel like a native application. So you skip that and use Next.js and they could take care of all kinds of stuff that makes it feel way better without having to write a lot of boilerplate. And with Phoenix Live View, you just skip like a lot of things, right? A lot of things. You don't have to set up that WebSocket anymore, Socket.io. You don't have for uploading. It's very easy. Doing pops up is very easy. You don't have to set up Redis. If you want to build workers, obviously, it's all there. It's easy. It's very, like, for me, it felt very easy, at least. And I'm probably doing a lot of stuff wrong. So I hope someday somebody would give me a lot of feedback on my code. But at this point, just it, it works. Right? Now, are you writing tests, though? <laughs> Good question. No, I'm waiting on the day that there's like uh, AI that will generate tests for me. <laughs> no, it's very difficult to write tests for everything. It just takes too much time if you build product the way we do because it changes too often. And I guess it's good to do if you start from the beginning and just keep on writing tests, but it just takes a lot of time. In my experience, I wrote tests in the past for APIs, obviously, because it's like a single point of failure. And now with Phoenix Live View, it's also a single point of failure, but not so much because you're also, when when you're just walking through it visually, like a, just like a person, obviously, you can't always cover all edge cases, but most of them, and it's still small, but I really, like what, to be honest, like uh, Vitsa, the guy I'm working with, he said like, yeah, maybe you just can find, maybe you can find a guy somewhere on Fiverr or whatever a service or like a company that just writes the tests and just code reviews and do improvements and do those kind of things because you're a person that really wants to build a product, not make sure it stays, it doesn't have regressions or something, right? Going back, I don't like going back. So I guess that's more of a personal preference, but I, I do agree. 
there should be tests, but right now we don't have a lot of tests, just a few. And that's good enough for now, in my opinion. I mean, if you're comfortable with it, like I know that, I think I want to say Glenn Beck, but that's the wrong guy. Kent Beck. So do you know who's, you know who's Kent Beck? No, maybe if you say what he does or... I forgot if he's one of the Gang of Four or something, but I know he's a famous kind of writer for uh, programming stuff. He works at Meta oh, yeah. right now. Yeah, so you know him, right? I forgot what yeah. stuff he did, but I'm pretty sure he's an author of quite a few important books. Yeah, a few books. Yeah. One of his quotes is that, you know, hey, I get paid for working code, not for writing tests, right? So he's not anti-test, but he's like, listen, I test what I feel I need to test. Something like Alan, that. Yeah. If we have like GPT-3 for writing te uh, writing text, and if we have Dolly 2 for making images, why isn't anyone building a service that writes tests for your code? And I, I know like if you have a bad code, it will probably generate. So it's a bad idea. But to help you along, to not write so many boilerplate codes would be amazing. So, yeah. And I, I tried it with uh, LiveView, but it's just, I, there are some tests, but I don't, yeah. I'm not going back to those tests anymore. So they run, they work, but this is for small things. And I think if you want to have like, a, I don't know, 90, 100% test coverage, yeah, it just takes too much time. So yeah. Yeah, I know. It depends, right? I think I like tests in certain places, at least. Like it helps me to kind of drive my code. Right. So like if I say okay this like is you write out it. stuff you want to do basically yeah like this yeah, is what so I like this is what I'm going to give it sketch this is what it I'm out expecting. yeah yeah, and then yeah, yeah I'd yeah. like to test for it that helps totally. a lot but that's mostly if you really I don't know really doing backend backend right so with Phoenix Live you you're, you also do that and especially with like Gen server if you're writing Gen server or something you really want to proper test because if it spins out of control you I don't know what would happen but crazy stuff let can it happen. crash we let it crash. <laughs> And keep on crashing. <laughs> but, yeah, actually, that actually happened to me somewhat recently. Like, uh, sorry, not, maybe about last year. Like, it was apparently the CPU was spiking like crazy because I think there was a... Uh, I was supervising a process and I just have it keep restarting it if it ever failed. Right. And it was failing for something stupid. It was like there was a bug somewhere or or the date was wrong or something somewhere. And the process just kept crashing and that just kept making the, the CPU spike because it was a pretty CPU intensive operation. Right. And, and like the guy kind of looking at your CPU. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, the, it was a DevOps guy. So like I wrote this code for a company. What the code would do, uh, it, would, it would reach out to S3, pull in about 200 plus XML files and write like thousands of PHP files with Elixir. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can parallelize. I parallelize every single XML file, right? So nice. that's a lot of shit coming through, right? And yeah, yeah it kept crashing. And then like the guy was like, dude, uh, the DevOps guys are, are bothering us. It's like the server's going nuts. Like what's going on? I was like, let me check it out. I'm like, oh, there's a bug here. He's like, and I'm like, I'm like, well, I thought it was going to be smart because I don't know if like the network will go down, and I just want to retry pulling from S3. That was my original idea. Right. You know, it's like if a bug happened, then it's just going to keep going on. So yeah, eventually yeah, so he was like, he was like, yeah, it's not very smart. I'm like, well, I thought it was going to be smart, but anyways, we found the issue. So thanks for letting me know. <laughs> yeah. So with gen servers and everything, you're like you're more abstracting stuff away from whatever you're seeing, and obviously they notice it because of the CPU spikes. But in other cases, like if, if it's with LiveView, for instance, and tests within LiveView, which makes a lot of sense as well, obviously, if there's really important stuff, like if you have an e-commerce project where people need to buy shit, like, and really want to have higher percentages of people buying shit, then it makes sense to test stuff out and make sure it always works for like 99%, 99.9999% of the time. But other than that, yeah. So for now, it's fine for us not to use tests. But at some point, we'll maybe have to focus more on that. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. So, but this is your first time ever really using Live View. You said, uh, when no, you said or uh, you kind of played around with it before. No. So before the uh, Maze, we tried out some other things as well, and it also used Live View. And I worked on one project uh, contract uh, that was also Live View, which was basically like a, a job site. So I have some some experience, and until now, it's I'm still learning. Obviously, like everyone's learning, but. From what I've used, like in the last years, I uh, really enjoy you know, working with it, and I, I'm really looking for like I, I, I believe there's a lot of new stuff happening as well in that area, especially also for front end, like with the components. Uh, I really, uh, I'm looking for whatever is going to be released, and I, I really enjoy also the community, obviously, because that's and, you know, I just mentioned it before as well before this podcast. To you like even coming onto this podcast, I didn't realize it. It's just small. I guess it's. It's big, but it still it feels it feels like a small community, and people really reach out to you, and and other way around, people are very you can well, engage with them pretty pretty easily. So I like that on Slack, and you know, so it's nice. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird too. Like the community of Elixir is rather small in comparison to most others, but I think they're really passionate for such a like. Right. I'm not saying other communities are not passionate, but I feel like the <laughs> no, I mean, like, I obviously, there's the I mean. Podcast. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, just like, just really just speaking objectively, like just my own feeling, like I just feel that Elixir community is definitely one of the few communities where the passion is really intensified compared to other places. So maybe the passion levels may be higher, could be a little bit lower than other places that are more popular. But if you look right. at the in comparison of, this, of the population density of the language, it's like still pretty right. massive, I think. So it's like more people shouting, but the people who can shout is much less, something like that, if that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that's just what I feel, right? But again, maybe I'm biased because I'm in the community, right? So, right. but that's we just what I feel. We're in our own bubble. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, I mean, JavaScript, there's just too many people, right? So it's easy to get swallowed up, like the same with. Yeah, yeah there, there's so much. But also, there's so much. That's the reason JavaScript is amazing, obviously, because it's used in so many ways on so many levels, which is also a downside, obviously. But yeah, I, and it's, I would say, JavaScript is a very easy entry for people to try out, like to program or to do backend or whatever, you know, because it's, it's very easy to get started. And yeah, I guess the next level is Elixir, probably. That's where I'm at. <laughs> Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance. I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, Elixir's done some pretty cool stuff. Like, yeah, but you can now you can basically try, kind of try out Elixir to a certain extent too. What I mean is like, you know that you can, you ever hear of the mix, mix, mix install, whatever it's called? Uh, the mix scripts? I forgot what they're called, the real word. Mix scripts. Yeah, so what you can do now, so you know if you want to start an Elixir project, you have to actually create a mix project, right? Mix new, right. whatever. Yeah. Now you can actually create one file with all of your stuff inside, including your dependencies, and you could just run the one file. Oh, 
You haven't seen this yet? No. Yeah, I'll see if I, I can I've find it. I've been in my, my own projects and just doing the, those things, but that's pretty interesting actually to for people to get started. Yeah, you should definitely check Try this that. thing out. There's a lot of really cool stuff. So I think they're called mixed grips actually. Uh, and this uh, this week is also ElixirConf in uh, Europe where Jose is really going to introduce some new things. That's what he said on Twitter at least. So really, yeah, so really, yeah. to this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let, let share, share it later maybe. I'll share it with you right now. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, so check out that link. If you go to that link, so this is by Wojciech Mach. I, I hopefully I said that correctly. Oh, yeah. He's from the... Yeah, These are all uh, EXS files. If you open one of them up, so for instance, Phoenix Lab, there's a script in there. It's a one page with the entire oh. application that you need. Oh, damn. That's really cool. It's not even that big, too, actually. And I'm kind of mm. surprised, right? So if you look, it's 84 it's lines. Like 80, 80 lines, yeah, yeah. If you if you take out the it's white crazy. spaces in between, it's probably more like seventy something. Yeah, that's really nice. So and it's really helpful to page, explain. Yeah. So explain you can see in yeah. here. So there's this mix.install thing, and you can see he's just including a couple of stuff, and you can just run this as an application. Wow. So it's, it's yeah, it's really crazy, like what you can do. Yeah. So yeah, but that's it's interesting because I actually also teach uh, at Node School. You probably never heard of this, but this is like this open source community thing going around the world and in my city I, I host this meetup where I teach JavaScript to people and it's a thing on the side and I love explaining stuff to people so I started doing that a while ago and, and, and I think Node.js was really like a good entry for people to start building things from all kinds of directions so that you can put it on hardware you can put it on a server there's like stuff for clients client side stuff so it's really an easy entry for people to get something done but looking at this but still very like if you look at it for program for a first time it might be a bit difficult and, and daunting but it's a it's a way it's better than all the boilerplate going around it when you have to like mix install everything and and have this whole structure of, of things so yeah progression love it I mean, what's that's what they're looking for right they're looking for a way that you can i mean they, they keep extending into different areas right so i think the biggest area that they extend into was probably the machine learning which is still pretty big right yeah and now yeah, with yeah. this one they're like well, why can't you do just this? yeah yeah now it's it. like well why can't you use elixir for like scripts right why is it that python has right. to you know rule this 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 uh, area i think they're just going after python i feel like right now it's like they went into machine learning and now going well. into scripts Yes, because Alan, we, we're actually getting old, right? And I think the new kids are probably creating scripts to uh, create like crypto bots or something. They don't think about creating web apps or applications in general. You just want to, for instance, create bots for shit. So, and, and most of the people probably use Python then. So that makes a lot of sense. If new people, if you want to get new people into a language, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to go this, this direction. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I'm not, but I'm not an expert. <laughs> I, know, I still know I nothing about machi know machine learning, so I would love to get into machine learning yeah. and figure it out. But then, but, yeah, but then with Lifebook, it makes it very accessible to start with machine learning as well. I'm not doing any machine learning. Uh, I love to start getting get started in it and do something like really practical with it. But I love I, I watch the demos. I uh, watch USA uh, doing his Twitch and showing whatever you can do with it. So uh, it's kind of, it's really nice, and it's also nice to know that it's there. It's very accessible. We as an Elixir developer as well. Um, you don't have to move move your project. And I, I guess most people would say, yeah, you, know, you have to separate it and separate concerns and create a different application for it, and then hook it up to your own application. But I, I don't know. For a small team, small company, it really makes sense to just have those things laying around and up for grabs. So, yeah. 
Okay. But we did bring you here for your article, right? I feel like we're skipping that. Can you talk to us about this article that you created? It is about live views. Quite interesting. Can you talk to us yeah. more about what it is? Yeah. So it's also more from a front-end perspective, but then mixed, obviously, with Elixir Live View. And it's about error messages and error handling in, in Live View. And when you set up, well, not in the new way where you have one file and you have Phoenix Live View, but just when you just set it up through uh, Mix. I said PHX new and then dash dash live and create a new project. It will generate that boiler code for you. And there is like the error handling for you in there as well. And I didn't really like that error handling because it didn't really play nice with our application. And I think in most cases, it doesn't really play nice with any application. It's really like feels old school, right? The same for the loader. I mean, Jose changed the loader, which is by default in a Phoenix live view uh, or a Phoenix project itself, where you see like the li thin line going on the top. And he wrote some JavaScript to make sure it doesn't show every time when you load a page, because from a user perspective, it doesn't really make sense to always show a loader, but only when it's slow. So in that sense, I also thought like that error handling on an input or on in a form should be easier and more uh, specific to what input it should show it at, which input is wrong. So uh, yeah, I just wrote this uh, small little component that throws an error and can be any generic error at that input. And it's just a small little thing, right? But it also with with, a, with animations, obviously, uh, because I really believe that the, I don't know why, but like mobile apps and applications in general, like native applications, really feel good, like the good ones really feel good. But still with web, we're still lack, like behind. And it's, there's no reason why, because with Phoenix Live, you can do like all kinds of 60 FPS, crazy server, client-side stuff. But we we always seem to miss miss out on those like nice little details. So uh, that's why I wrote a blog post about make sure you care about your li nice little details. So yeah, that's what my blog post is about. And also how to implement it yourself, obviously, if you want to try it out. And there are probably better ways to do it as well, but it's my take on uh, doing that error messaging. Um, but it, for instance, another example, and maybe I should write a blog post on this as well, is page navigation. So we obviously have like a live patch and live redirect within Phoenix Live View. And I know this because I Googled it a lot and found other people struggling with this as well. If you want to animate between views, right? When you switch from a route to another route and you want to animate your page or parts of it, it's still difficult to do, to do it nicely. And you want to do it nicely because like native applications, like for instance, on mobile, on mobile, everything seems to be fixed because it's all there for you. They take care, like I know iOS a lot, but they take, they abstract it away for you and you just say like, what kind of animation do you want? And you don't, Really, like everything is native, and I, I actually, I hope you're gonna put it in the, underneath the, the podcast because I know they're working native for native support for page transitions. It's called Shared Element Transitions, the API. It's still a proposal from the Chrome developers where you can basically load a page in your in the page you're currently looking at, and once it's loaded, you say go to this page with this nice animation, and what it does is takes a screenshot of the page, and then you can create any transition as crazy as you want, from that page to another. So my hope is that it will be integrated into Phoenix Live View as well, where you, if you go from with a live redirect, so to a completely different view, it will transition in that way. So you can do really crazy animations. But the way we animate right now within our project, like Maeve, it's only with a push patch, because otherwise you just, well, I didn't find out a way how to nicely navigate and animate at the same time. So we fade the contents out without the menu bar in the top. And then 
fade in and zoom in the new page. And that's how you switch between pages. By the way, this like shared element transitions API, like what I've seen in the demo from that, uh, what well, Adi Osmani posted a tweet, but it's a Chrome dev that showed a demo. And in that video, he showed like, for instance, and that's really relevant for us. Like if you click on the thumbnail from a, for a video, it will expand. And I'm showing this to you on camera, but it will expand to full video, right? And then it transitions nicely from that spot where it's at in the page. So whether it's on top of the page and when you scroll, scroll down, it's at the bottom of the page, for instance, it's, it's really animates from that position and doing that from CSS is kind of hard. So, um, and you can do all kinds of other animations as well. And he shows that in that demo. So it's really worth it if you, you want to, well, I know it's not like if you wanted to do it right now, it's not helpful because it's still a proposal. It's in a, in a dev build of Chrome. So wait a bit, but I hope at some point it will be part of maybe like libraries and even, for instance, Phoenix and Phoenix Live View doing that for those transitions. So yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I know what you're talking about. The page transitions, right? Right. Yeah, I seen this one recently. Yeah, at, at Google I/O, they just talked about it. That's oh, quite interesting. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it at Google I/O. I only saw this demo. Yeah, Google I/O, they was talked it? about that because they're like, "Yeah, why is it that iOS and Android get all this nice stuff?" Right. You know, how come you don't get this? Us web developers. I mean, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. Why are we like, behind? Okay. And I was like, "This is cool," but then they're like, "By the way, this is only working in Chrome." And I'm like, "Well, of course." It's <laughs> gonna take time, and I, I it's, a, I think it's a very good concept because doing this yourself creating this screenshot or canvas I, I suppose some people are doing this but it's really like it takes a lot of code and a lot of headache so uh, yeah i think if they solve it that would be kind of nice and i think in in obviously like phoenix live you offers a lot already out of the box and i i think if they do more with transitions and animations and to make sure it feels more native as an application, because I guess like if you're using Live View as a stack, it's already an application, right? Because doing that for static websites, like if you're building a static website, please just use something differently. But if you're using Live View, you're probably building something more complex, but still man- manageable by fewer people. And then you want to have nice page transitions as well, or transitions in general. So uh, yeah, it may free people out though. I don't know. It depends, right? Because we're already accustomed to like a mobile experience or a native experience is one thing, and a web experience is totally another so yeah, i don't know sure. i yeah i mean yeah let's see what happens i don't know i think it looks cool well, I, but uh yeah, yeah it's I, a little bit shocking I, at first yeah yeah for sure and i mean like if you don't have to care about the details like with a lot of stuff in phoenix live view everything is just works until it doesn't obviously but most of the stuff just works and you get it for free it's kind of nice if it's there as well so and i know like if you you say really cares as well because that's why he like wrote that tweet where you change your loader to a different state so it doesn't show up all the all the time for your users right so he really cares about having this in elixir even or well as an elixir developer right so it's not just a developer developer thing i guess it's a people thing okay yeah and also i saw you're using tailwind right yeah we use a lot of tailwind where i know a lot of people are against tailwind I, i'm not still really sure why but um, yeah, we love it. It really, really works well. And you can just build stuff really fast. And it works on mobile, desktop, all kinds of resolutions, et cetera, et cetera, out of the box. So it's the same with Phoenix Live View, right? Where you just want, don't want to, if you're a small team and you want to build something really fast and make sure it works in different browsers, who wants to take care of making sure it works in multiple browsers these days? Like nobody, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, 
it, it's just a pain in the ass to, and you st- obviously you still check it if it works, but Tailwind just takes care of those things. They, they abstract it away and they make it very easy for you. And then same, same for Phoenix Live View, right? They just take care of a lot of things. And that's why we like it. And it doesn't work for every project. It doesn't work for every team. But I suppose if you're small and want to build something, yeah, you know, works. Yeah, I mean, I've had one issue with Tailwind, but I don't think there's even an issue with Tailwind. I think it's an issue of just the browser itself. Like lately, I, when I develop pages with front end, for some weird reason, I like to I like to use Mozilla Firefox. I'm not too sure why. Is it the web developer <laughs> version? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just used to it. I, but in any case, like that's what right. I usually use to develop with. Right. And everything's working fine. I send it over to my client. She took a look at it. She's like why is it all weird in Chrome? And I was like, what is that? And I forgot what it was, but like for some weird reason in Chrome, it actually appeared different than in Firefox. Interesting. Yeah, like the, there was two elements. CSS or? No, no, no. I just basically, oh, nearly okay. 100% just of it was just using oh. Tailwind. Yeah. Oh, okay. I had to add a very special tag to make it work. Hmm. I forgot the name of the tag. I can try to look it up, but this one tag fixed it it was like they they were not level like they were like one was lower than the other for some reason like it was oh, pushing yeah, yeah. The content around yeah and probably with i don't know or something yeah it was with flexbox which i thought was supposed to fix everything but apparently, yeah. uh no <laughs> no not quite <laughs> man it's gonna bug me if i don't know what what that is i can tell you in a second what it is it was okay. uh, it's very small thing, uh, though, but I think in most situations we also had a few bumps. But like I think like ninety nine percent always just works in all the browsers. So I, I don't know if it just doesn't work that one time, and you have to check obviously in all browsers. Still, sometimes we don't. I mean, I guess we got lazy because most of the times it just works in every browser. But at some time, like if you, especially in the beginning, if you're structuring new stuff, you need to check it in all browsers. But if it works and at one time it doesn't, that, that's no reason to use Tailwind, right? I mean, yeah. And also, yeah, does tree shaking, so you only use whatever you need, so you can blame it on file size, unless you really want to make it small, and then you really want to make your own. But I mean, if you're on web, unless your your audience is really like on the edge and really have slow mm-hmm. internet connection, you do want to take more care of that. But in in most situations, you don't. I mean, it takes care of a lot of stuff. So we, we, we enjoy using it and we can really work fast because of it and build some. I feel like I'm repeating myself. <laughs> oh, no, it's okay. okay. I found the tag that I found the CSS property. So it was a white space property and I had to set it to no wrap. It was like wrapping for some weird reason, but only on Chrome. I didn't check it on Safari, but I'm guessing it probably could have been because they're similar, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's I true. Just we, no had, we, had, we had some problems also with Safari and Chrome. We don't like sometimes we check Firefox, but I know like like most of the internet is using Chrome. Then it's Safari, I believe, and then it's Firefox or a lot of way around. But most people use Chrome like ninety percent or something. It's crazy. Maybe I'm wrong. Sorry if anyone is anybody's listening. Sorry if I'm wrong, but I think the most people are using Chrome. So we mostly check Chrome first and Safari, and sometimes those differ as well. But this is really small most of the times. Like we'd say, my uh, partner really like he fixes it in no time yeah i mean i remember because we're old fogies right so i remember a few years ago when we started ie6 that was a pain oh man it was like oh yeah this stuff works <laughs> this is great and you're like fuck ie6 uh yeah it doesn't support yeah. this uh and it was really bad yeah, for almost... me because at that time i was in china and everything oh. had to use ie6 until like real real late i mean if you look at that like when ie6 is supposed to die china was the only country that had to keep going they still use it oh wow yeah that's a pain i mean edge like it's edge is really really nice browser actually really works well as well like no issues with edge 
but I remember those days as well. And I, I, I guess maybe I'm getting lazy or something. So you do It's just, just you just want to focus on on, on building those things, those features you want to get out, like making it functional and not on all, all the weird little edge cases. But it's it, you want to make sure it works very nice. So has nice little subtle animations covers the errors obviously and all the errors you're throwing all the loading states you're throwing i mean a lot of websites still don't throw a lot of state or misstates like i mean when i had my agency we had designers working on a, a project right and a designer uh, starts designing and it has a nice little inter- creates an interface and it's all amazing and then he or she thinks about edge cases and error states and empty views or empty states and you go get those states uh, those cases and then buttons and the different states for buttons and at some point the designer's focus goes to something else because you want don't want as a designer as well well some designers do but most designers i guess would skip over a few things but because that's either obvious or when you implement it or you don't think about it when you're designing it because there are so many states happening and as a developer when you're implementing those designs you're like i'm missing this error page or error view I'm missing this loading state here specifically. That's not a gener- generic loading view, but for this small little button thingy that's going to load when you press it, right? And there's nothing for for that. And so I guess with, with Phoenix Live View and, and Tailwind, yeah, I don't know, it's really, you can really work together as a backend and frontender and, and designer because we're just two, two people, but he's, a design, he's mostly designing and, and you get it out really quickly with all the states because it's all also one thing. It's Phoenix Live View and the views is your front end, but it's also mixed with your back end. So like the old days <laughs> where you mix a lot of stuff. And most people would say, no, no, you have to separate those things. But if you're a small team, why? Why would you separate those things? Those things? It doesn't really matter. You want it to work and you want to cover all cases, loading states, error states. And it's in there because your front end or designer, front end or designer would see it. And you would see it because you're working with it. So. Now, have you ever used pedal stack before? That's all. Like okay. Alpine. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alpine. So basically just add yeah. Alpine to the mix and you're there. Yeah. Yeah. We used to use Alpine quite a lot, actually. But we removed it at some points because we didn't really use it anymore that, that often. So it's now, well, TypeScript and just hooks, plain hooks. And the, and the JavaScript, like what's it called again? Well, the Phoenix JavaScript object, right? Where you can dispatch, dispatch events and those kind of things. So yeah, and that that's enough, I, I suppose. Like Alpine was nice in the beginning when we started out using using Phoenix Live View, but I I, I don't really battle without an A. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Do you still yeah. use Alpine then? I use it for small things, right? Because I don't really right. need JavaScript everywhere, and I don't think I need to add Live View just to make something interactive. Right. right? Like the biggest one is like, okay, I want to make this mobile menu pop out when you hit the burger icon, right? Right. Do I really need to add like Live view just for that. I feel like it's a little bit too much, right? I just want to show and hide something. Forget about you know the rest, right? But so that's the uh, biggest one I'm, for right I'm, now. I'm not sure what it's called in Phoenix now. Uh, just JS, where you can have JavaScript bindings within yeah, JS these, commands. Yeah, JS commands. Yeah, yeah. And you can do a lot of stuff without using Alpine now as well. So either we're using hooks within in TypeScript, which are mostly like complex JavaScript things which need to be executed, or Yes, we use JS commands for simple things. I think we, like Jose also tweeted about this, I think, or I'm not sure who it was, or it was Chris, Chris McCord, 
but about copy to clipboard, also a nice little thing, right? From a JS command, very easy implement implementation without writing too much code and re and make it reusable throughout everywhere where you. So if you go to our homepage, for instance, there's a copy to clipboard thingy where you can copy paste the script tag, but it's throughout the app and everywhere where there's some code where you can need to copy paste. So it's just one JS command away. <laughs> it's kind of nice. So there's no, I would say Alpine is obsolete now for, for Phoenix Live View at least. Like in general, probably not. And I hope I'm not hurting anyone's feelings, but I think JS commands and uh, big, uh, like the hooks are, are not for most projects. Yeah, that's the one thing I'm trying to figure out myself is like, I've been looking at pedal stack recently and with JS commands, which somebody brought up to me recently, they're like, well, you know, you need to mention about JS commands, you need to take a look at this. And I was like, okay, cool. And it does a lot, right? I think the only thing that I think it cannot do, which I think I read this, I'm not too sure, I need to figure this out. I think it's, you cannot listen for custom events, but maybe I'm wrong. Mm. No, you, I can, think you're right. you can send custom events, but you cannot listen for custom events. Yeah, exactly. You can, if you want to listen to custom events, you have to, well, write JavaScript or create a hook, which is bind, bound to your page at that or to the component you're trying to listen to. Uh, no, you're right. And it's not ideal. I totally agree because, for instance, we don't use uh, the transitions where I'm not sure what it's called, where you, you can add multiple classes and then have like a, a thingy uh, where it says what kind of animation it's putting on because it uses display block and also like it used default CSS, which you cannot override, I believe, or I haven't found out. I haven't looked at it for some, for some time, but I don't think it's it has changed. But it adds the, a display block, for instance, and for some animations, you don't want to use display block or display none. You want, I don't know, opacity zero because if you use display none, it will hide. I'm not sure how to explain this, but it will not only hide the part, but also, well, remove it, basically. So, and if you say it opacity zero, it will still remain with the width height and every, everything you set to it. So it's a better way to animate. For instance, I think that's a problem we ran into. So we, we, we're not using those, those JS commands, for instance, and wrote our own stuff. But it's a, it's a good start. I mean, I mean, this is the first version of JS commands still, right? So I hope they're going to add a bit more. And, and for instance, listening to events would be Super awesome if you just can listen to an event for a specific component or just HTML DOM nodes and then do something within that. The DOM node, for instance, would be would be kind of cool. But on the other end, like with with hooks, you can do like everything basically as well. But you have to write some more code, definitely. And with Alpine, you don't need to write a lot of code as well. So I guess I guess that's why Alpine is useful. Yeah, you can do a lot of really cool stuff with Alpine. So yeah, I agree. I know, I'm still I'm still learning. Like I. There's an episode on Thinking Elixir where they talk to the creator of Alpine. And yeah, it's fantastic. I, I listened to his thing. They they like to say that, that you know, Laravel Livewire, the thing that he wrote. Yeah. They like to compare it with LiveView. But to be honest, if you listen to at least in the episode, it's like not even close because there's no WebSocket. It's mm. basically JS commands, kind of. Oh, you know, like we, we do, we're like, it's basically, if, my, if I understand correctly, it's like you have state on the front end, state on the back end, and they kind of mirror each other. But there's no real, right. like, one single source Life of things like you have with Live View. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's not like, yeah. So it's really quite different, but it's cool right. that they that you can use this kind of stuff. Well, I mean, the concept of live apps, which Chris McCord introduced, right? And then all these other frameworks and uh well mostly frameworks introduce like these similar concepts it's it's kind of cool I feel we're part of a movement here <laughs> you know 
I, I really believe, without joking, I really believe this is a new new way of building web apps, right? Where you focus more on the experience rather than writing boilerplates and making sure it works on every browser and every situation. It's just you're, you're, there's more focus. So I, I, I really think it's it doesn't work for every case, obviously, for the obvious reasons, like if you have a bad internet connection or for, for offline mode, I hope. They solve it. I suppose there's no real like pressure right now to solve it, but like if you want to have an offline mode for your application, it would be kind of nice. But there's no WebSocket, so it should store those WebSockets locally and then push it all at once and try to merge it somehow. I don't know. But all the, on the other hand, all the views are also overcoming over WebSockets, so you want to render it. It's kind of complex. Yeah, I guess that's why they're not doing it right now. But there's probably somebody smart that could figure it out. I'm guessing the only thing that you could do is if you can somehow make the uh, Elixir compilable to WebAssembly, maybe you can somehow there you go. <laughs> do it locally <laughs> and then when it come together some kind of merging <laughs> algorithm. I see your point coming see. on. <laughs> no, I got no time for that stuff. I, <laughs> yeah, I did see that they're picking it back up. I haven't seen what the latest uh, is about that, though. I um, hope they can get it going. I guess it's very complex, but yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. And I mean, Next.js is like in the front-end world, Next.js is solving this problem with React, right? So you get Next.js and it, it tries to solve whether you want to server render it or want to have the client-side render it and then whether the data inside your application, right, then needs to get it from the server or it needs to be compiled on build time and then put into your application. So like those concepts are, are pretty nice where you can specify how you want the behavior to work from loading data, basically, or loading views even, because it's also optimizing the, the pages. So you have this concept of pages in Next.js, and if you go to block, like your blog post, where your blog post live, it's a different, different uh, like it loads only the block dependencies rather than your site dependencies. So And having this separation within the application is kind of nice. So maybe that's a good idea for Phoenix Live View as well, where you separate it and then some portions, like the views are partially like, like even like I, I mean you can all the views like small little components are hard to maybe have stored client side, but at some point you do want to have something client side maybe to have the main experience offline and on some portions you do want to kind of line for. But mm. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. We've we've gone for quite some time together actually. So oh, I, 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 I don't I don't mind, <laughs> but you know, it's getting late for me at least. Yeah, yeah, uh, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So so you yeah. guys know at home it's almost eleven twenty one PM. So during during on a school night, okay. So I can't be up too late. Yeah. But okay, it's been great chatting with you, right? Maybe we can transition over to pitch sure. unless there's something else you wanted to yep. to say before we start to sign off. No, I, I guess we covered uh, everything I I wanted to say. So I, I assume you don't have any questions anymore. I I might think about creating this new blog post. So if somebody has suggestions about transitions or anything else content wise. I, I'm not really the best, I guess, writing blog posts about backends and those kind of like the hardcore stuff is more your thing, Alan. So you should write blog posts about that. But I like it. if you have suggestions from anyone else, let me know. And if you want to test it out, like my products, what I'm working on, please let me know as well. It would be awesome. So yeah. Okay. So with that, we're going to transition over to Pick. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. You said you have a ton of picks. Yeah, uh, and you I'm didn't, gonna... right? <laughs> no, I, well, I had I had one before, but I'm like, that's stupid. Oh. Let me choose another one. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, I'm going to have my pick actually is going to be a little bit strange, right? So recently, 
So in Hong Kong, we got some, uh, what do you call it, subsidies from the government to try to make us feel better about COVID and everything else. And I went ahead and splurged on a pair of Bose sunglasses. <laughs> so there's these sunglasses with these massive speakers on the side. Wait, they're actually kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, they're actually kind of nice, to be honest. So they have these speakers on the sides and they're aimed at your eardrums. And yeah, okay, people can still kind of hear you, but actually you can still hear it better. And they're Bose, right? So I don't know if you like Bose or not, but basically all of my headsets, yeah, yeah. all of my stuff is all Bose. Nice. And uh, yeah, I got these Bose uh, headsets. I think there's, they're tenors. I think they're Sopranos, but one of the newer ones. And uh, I've been having fun with them. I took them over to a, uh, a place that makes custom lenses. And I uh, got a pair of custom, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the ones that change color in the UV. And also like a regular pair of sunglass ones that are prescription. And uh, I'm actually going to be heading back to the U.S. in July since I haven't been back right. home in about three years. And so I thought, you know, if I'm driving and I want to listen to something and sun's out there, I could just put those on so I don't disturb other people while I'm driving or whatever. So, yeah, I just want to say it's, they're kind of cool. Like you should guys check out Bose store if you have some. Just check them out, see if you like them or not. It's hit or miss. Depends on you. I think they're pretty cool. It's kind of interesting as well because yeah. I, I guess because of all the AR stuff is going that's going on and Facebook and uh, Apple and everybody like the bigger ones are making this, these glasses right, but yeah. and also integrating their speakers. I, I I guess it makes a lot of sense. Like like TVs, for instance, you have bigger TVs makers that work together with like good good audio makers that Bose is just already in front of it and trying to figure out like what's the best experience if you have speakers on your glasses. But, well, that's they were trying to I, do I something. Buy it, but <laughs> well, they were trying to do something like an AR, but with like audio and oh. stuff, like turn by turn directions. So I think was it the, what they were oh, wow. trying yeah, to yeah. do. Yeah, that's pretty. Cool. So you can imagine. I mean, obviously, it'd be cool if you had a HUD, right? But even without the HUD, yeah. like if you can turn, it's like turn left. It's like you can you can get the turn left or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like potential audio or something. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely potential for sure. In any case. I think they're pretty cool. Obviously, I bought them. I got them nearly for free because of the subsidy. Just try them out. Maybe they're useful for you. Maybe not. But you look like a crazy person when you're like, I picked up calls with them before. You look, first of all, <laughs> because I want to check them out. So at night, I'm wearing sunglasses at night, like a cool guy, right? And I'm talking to, and I look like I'm talking to myself walking down the street. <laughs> still cool. And actually, people still said I sounded really clear. So I was like, cool. You know, why not? But audio is really nice as well then. That's what they say. Yeah, the audio is audio's good. The only issue I have is you cannot be in a noisy place because it's basically open ear, right? So you can't right. really hear okay. it so yeah, well. That's the everything. only issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. But if you're like chilling on the beach or somewhere that's like very quiet, it's easy to hear stuff. I think listening to podcasts and it sounds great, really. So right. check it out. It's hit or miss, I think. Maybe 50-50, you'll like it. But I think it's still pretty cool. Well, yeah. yeah. If you're on the beach and there's sun, for sure, like sunglasses without putting stuff in your ear because it's warm. You don't want stuff in your ear or over your ear when it's warm. Yeah. So I, I, that's that part of the reason why scenario. I, it will work. That's part of the reason why I, I wanted to get them because right, right now my ears are sweating. <laughs> Same here. <So. laughs> yeah. Both wearing headsets. Yeah. Yeah. Go so ahead. those were your picks yes, or... Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. my one pick. Yeah, can I have multiple? Then you're right. Yeah, I can have. As multiple, much as right? you like. Yeah, yeah. You're oh, the guest. Awesome. You can do so, whatever yeah. you want, nearly. Awesome. <laughs> just, just note that if we don't like it, you're just never coming back. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> okay, so the first one is really related to Elixir. And I, I've known this project before Elixir, but realized recently that it's written in Elixir. So that's kind of awesome. Which is Sonic Pi. Have you ever heard about Sonic Pi before? Sounds so familiar. It's also machine learning stuff, right? No, it's generating music with codes. It's really uh, cool. Okay. Uh, which yeah, you can do on, on your Raspberry Pi. So it runs on the Raspberry Pi, and then you can write code and execute it, and it will generate music. 
And so this guy, Sam Aaron, I think he's from the University of Cambridge, or that's where the project started, at least. He's been working for it some time already. You probably know it because Jose Felim announced that Dashpit, the company he works at, sponsoring his development. And then I realized, like, why are they sponsoring? What is the relationship there? And then I looked into it and, well, it utilizes the Beam and Elixir for, like, timing audio events. And uh, I'm not sure how it exactly works, but... I, probably has, has in, having some supervisor checking what the audio when when you want to time stuff and something with input output i have not looked into the details but once i saw that it's really cool but i used it like way back when i was in school and tried it out and then uh, did some programming to generate music i was really bad but when you look it up up on youtube it's kind of cool especially at a party so uh yeah check it out if you like uh, generating music with code so that's one do you know it or so you, you said this is written in in Elixir, sorry. No, no. So it's it's multiple parts. So it has a part it's portion Ruby. in there. Yeah, yeah, it has a portion in there which is Elixir, or at least Erlang. But he mentioned it's also using Elixir. But I've not looked into the details that much. But I think if you Google it and you Google for timing audio events and then Sonic Pi, you'll you'll find it. It's in the source on GitHub. You can find it as well. But uh, it's more hardcore stuff. I like it, especially as a project, not just because it's Elixir, by the way. Just so you know what I thought it would be nice to mention it here. So that's number one. And number two, I, I guess I have three things. Number two is a recent... So I'm also a bit of a thinker. I like to make stuff, like I mentioned before, about that software, but also in hardware. And I guess those, these guys are from Hong Kong, actually. So a few uh, ex-DGI people started this company called Bamboo Lab. And are you into 3D printing at all, Adam? I don't have a 3D printer, but I used one before. I mean, they said it was the future, but then it turned out very slow. And if you want to print something, you have to wait for a lot of hours, especially if it's a bigger print. So I, I used a 3D, obviously a 3D printer before as well, but then I didn't really look at it anymore, anymore because it's just, just a hassle and very slow. But Bamboo Lab created this new version or new 3D printer. On, they launched on Kickstarter. It's not really Kickstarter. And I'm not recommending to put a pledge in there, but it's really nice to follow the project and see what they're doing because they're using LiDAR and AI to calibrate and inspect prints and using some sort of, I'm not sure how they do it, but probably also AI to see the vibrations in the printer. So if you put it on like concrete or wood, it has different vibrations. And so it tries to like compensate for those vibrations so it can move faster, apparently. That's their commercial. So it prints maybe it's like half of the time you're used to or even faster than that. And there are YouTube videos on there as well. I could like watch a ton of reviews. And But I'm not recommending to pledge, right? It's still a risk and everything, but they're going to release it next month or ship it next month. So I don't know. It's kind of finished. So it's not really a Kickstarter in that sense. But I, I really like what they're doing. And it's a nice 3D printer if you're into 3D printing. And then the last one, and that's I guess it's a short one. I'm also a gamer. I do too many things. Oh my, I have too many hobbies. I, like you are always working. <laughs> I'm also a lot, working a lot, but then I need my hobbies. So I'm also doing a lot of Star Citizen lately. And also, do you know Star Citizen? Star, Star Citizen, or are you a gamer at all? It's no time, but uh, <laughs> I this game. I haven't heard yeah, this game before. You haven't? No? No, oh. I haven't heard this one. Okay. So it actually is also a Kickstarter thing. And I, I pledged it uh, in 2015 or something. Circle. I don't know, long time ago, many years ago. And now it's it's actually evolving into like, it's really working. And it's obviously it's out of Kickstarter already. And it has lots of funding and people are still admiring shit. And now they recently had like this uh, Invictus, they called it. It was a free 
or you can try it out for free. So it got really busy and it got some some traction or it had already a lot of traction, but now from, from more, even more people. So there are a lot of YouTube videos on that as well. And it's if you're into space or space simulators or gaming at all, this game is seriously amazing, especially like, or if you're into development or game development, I guess it's crazy. If you look at it, like how much detail is in this game, it's really, really nice. So I guess those are my picks. It's a lot of picks, <laughs> but uh, no, it's okay. It's, I've, I've heard more. So, oh, okay. That's not super long. Oh, thanks. Still. Thanks for listening though. <laughs> Yeah, it's okay. Okay. Well, it's great to have you on. It's nice to Thank hear you. that you know Thank somebody you who that you're enjoying your lively journey and you want to share your your learning with the world. And I'm happy that you're building product with it. And um, yeah, just happy that that more people are in it and are enjoying it. Yeah, I'm happy that you're doing this podcast and inviting all kinds of people to to talk and uh, from every perspective within the electric community. So. Thanks for that and having me, obviously. I enjoyed it. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Maybe we'll have you back to see how it's going with your, your project. Maybe you'll pivot somewhere else. You know, startups always pivot all the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, yeah, I'm thinking we are sticking with this. Yeah. I feel it feels good. Maybe change the wording a bit and make it more focused on specific audience. But I I, I think as a from a technology perspective, we're, we're doing something good. Okay. All right. Well, again, thank you for your time. And uh, like I said, hopefully we'll have you back. Awesome. Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.